Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. I mean, Rick, here we are, day four, the final day of the Democratic Convention, our daily coverage. But wait, 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 we've got breaking news. Uh, breaking news. Steve Bannon has been arrested, indicted by the Southern District of New York, no less, on fraud charges. Um, this is not the development that I expected to see uh, as, as Joe Biden prepares to take the nomination. But let's let's just remember here for a second that Steve Bannon was really an architect of the Trump campaign. Um, he was uh, the chief strategist in the Trump White House during most of year one. Uh, he is somebody who the president uh, had a falling out with, but has more recently uh, said nice things about. Um, this is something else. And he now joins uh, the number of people really close to the president in really important positions that have been indicted, arrested, faced criminal charges. His campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, his national security advisor, former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, his personal lawyer, um, Michael Cohen, his really the first political strategist, the, the guy that, that conceived of the Trump campaign first, uh, Roger Stone, uh, not to mention uh, others that we could get into. But I mean, this is, this is quite a cast of allegedly criminal characters uh, that have been right there at the president's side. And the particular ironies around this, that you have the post office <laughs> acting against Steve Bannon, you can't make that up. And the fact that this is about the wall that Mexico was famously going to pay for. Uh, and of course, that wasn't happening. And there was an effort by alleged by Steve Bannon and several other people close to him to, to raise money to, to have private funds to pay for that wall. They ended up, according to the, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District, trying to line their own pockets with that money. So it is astounding the timing of this. Of course, fascinating. Uh, President Trump uh, had the U.S. attorney in that southern district replaced by his attorney general just a few short weeks ago. We know of other active criminal investigations that affect Trump world that are coming out of that same office. And all of this to happen here on, on Joe Biden's big day on the eve of the Republican National Convention, where the wall is going to be a, a major talking point. Uh, Steve Bannon was a big part of that last convention. Uh, he very much won't be this year. And, and it's important to say the president has addressed this now. He was asked about it uh, in the Oval Office while he was meeting with the Prime Minister of Iraq. He said that he never liked this project, that he had criticized it. It's actually true. He criticized it uh, just over a month ago, I believe, uh, in a tweet after there was a story about how this wall, they, they, they built a, you know, a, a, a little segment with these privately raised funds um, on, the, on the Rio Grande, how it had, um, you know, it basically started falling down. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't built properly. Um, but I think it's really important to mention that that was just recently the president said this. This fundraising effort has been going on uh, for some time, and among those that have gone out and spoken to this group and lauded this group was Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, Take a listen. Take, take, take a listen to this uh, to the sound of Donald Trump Jr. Uh, out there uh, speaking at the uh, the We Build the Wall. For being here, Brian. Thank you so much for all your sacrifices doing this and showing really what 
capitalism is all about, right? This is private enterprise at its finest. Doing it so it, it, it's embarrassing. I want to get to the Democrats, but before we leave this, I mean, the thing that is notable about this is not just that you have somebody that was such an important figure in the Trump White House now facing criminal charges. Uh, it's, it's beyond that. It's the nature of the scheme. This allegedly was a scheme to dupe Trump supporters, people who really believed in building the wall, who wrote checks, uh, many of them small donors, I would assume, um, to, to, to help with this effort. And the indictment alleges that although the organizers, Bannon and the others, promised that every red cent was going to go to building this wall, that they used hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to personally enrich themselves. They duped Trump rank and file, Trump true believers to personally benefit themselves. And what's fascinating to me too is just how, how it isn't even sophisticated. It, it, there really isn't much to this alleged scam. It's a very basic one and uh, we'll, we'll see how the legal process works itself, itself out. We've already seen the president's response, which of course you know, glosses over the long relationship he had politically with Steve Bannon and other figures involved in this. But it is, it is, it is quite something to land at this particular moment in time. Now, uh, let's get back to the Democrats. We had day three. Um, uh, you know, we saw Hillary Clinton speak, um, kind of buried in the first, uh, in the first hour, which was not carried by the broadcast networks. We saw Elizabeth Warren uh, speaking during that primetime hour. Uh, and of course, the, 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 uh, the signature speeches of Barack Obama and Kamala Harris. It, it, it was as big a night as, as you're going to have of Democratic stars, short of the one that's to come. Uh, this is the this is the the evening where Joe Biden, after uh, 30, 40 years, finally gets to accept the Democratic nomination. And and I um, think we're, we're extremely fortunate right now to have a chance to uh, to speak with somebody who has been uh, with with the Biden campaign from the start. Uh, somebody we often see out there speaking on behalf of the uh, of the vice president. Kate Bedingfield is joining us now. Kate, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you guys? Doing all right. Doing all right. Good. It's been it's been fascinating to watch how uh, you all have had to try to cobble together a convention uh, without the uh, the benefit of having delegates <laughs> delegates on hand at the convention. I, I I want if you don't mind, I wanted to look forward a little bit um, since you. Um, you know, you, you are somebody that, that has obviously worked with reporters like me for, for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been covering the White House now for, uh, for God, too, too long to admit. Um, and dealt with, with a lot of different press secretaries, a lot of press offices. I was just, I, I wanted to get a sense from you of now that, that Joe Biden tonight will, you know, will, 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 will leave this convention officially as the as the Democratic nominee uh, for president, and, and, and let's face it, the front runner uh, in the in the general election. I want to get a sense from you of how his relationship is going to be uh, with, with the press. Um, do you expect, starting in, in the immediate as we look into the campaign, are we going to see him interact with the reporters that are covering his campaign on a regular basis? Are we going to be seeing him, you know, answering questions, holding press conferences? What's 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 the plan? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think he has throughout this campaign, throughout the primary. I mean, you guys know you were out there on the road with us a lot before, uh, you know, before COVID hit and we had to start campaigning virtually. He is somebody who, you know, throughout his career has uh, has always viewed having a transparent, open dialogue with the press as a really important part of his responsibility as an elected official. I think I actually think he holds the the record. Uh, I think he's second behind John McCain for uh, the most appearances on Meet the Press across the course of his career. So um, he is he is definitely uh, he definitely views uh, having, as I say, a, a, an open and transparent relationship with the press as as a big part of his responsibility. And I think you know, for the campaign, obviously, we have been working through how we reimagine campaigning in this virtual time, um, as everybody has, has been working through how we reimagine our lives in this time that's, um, you know, that is, is, is almost entirely virtual. Um, and I think, you know, f- for us, we've really prioritized um, making sure that he's talking to local media, making sure that he's, uh, you know, he, he does local TV across the country from the, um, the satellite studio uh, at his house. So, you know, we've really, I think, used the opportunity to think about how can we reach the maximum number of people uh, with the travel restrictions and limitations um, that we have on ourselves. And that's, as I say, that's local media, that's digital outlets, that's um, you know, talking to you guys, he's done a number of press conferences over the last uh, couple of months, safe, socially distant press conferences. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so absolutely, he views that as a very important part of his responsibility. And, and so do we as a campaign. And I, I spent many years covering Joe Biden as a senator, and I, I can attest to the fact that he was somebody that was extremely accessible uh, to the Capitol Hill press corps. Uh, somebody you could always you could always pull aside, whether in a formal interview, press conference, or just to, to talk in the halls. Um, but I, I, I raise this because we've, we've seen Donald Trump um, uh, try to revoke press credentials uh, from from reporters at the White House uh, during the campaign. Try to you know ban news organizations from time to time to going to his rallies. But he's also been um, paradoxically. Uh, rather transparent and and uh, probably takes questions more questions uh, from from White House reporters than than any president uh, in history. Um, so it goes back and forth. I mean, he declares war on the press, and then he's out there all the time. I, well, I, yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but I would say I would like dispute a little bit the idea here that he's been transparent when his answers to questions are blatantly lies are, you know, are misconstrued, are uh, intentionally misleading. I mean, I think, you know, there, I think there are two things here that I would say to, to that point you just made. One is, I mean, let's look at the interviews he grants. First of all, he does a lot of Fox News. He does a lot of Sinclair, talks to OAN. I mean, he, you know, he, he is very particular about who uh, he gives time to, and it's largely outlets who, you know, are ideologically aligned with him, one. And then two, I mean, you know, you can say he's, he's transparent, but if you're standing at the podium, you know, if you're standing behind the podium at the White House, arguably the most powerful place in the world to be standing talking to the media, and your answers are full of lies and half-truths, I'm not so sure that's transparency. Yeah, so uh, so p- perhaps the wrong word to use, but uh, but what I meant is he... He gets out there and he takes questions, and, and I'm not commenting on the quality of the answers. Um, but but I 
I, you know, also he's had a he's had now four different press secretaries. One who never held a single briefing. Um, you know, the uh, press secretaries who have said documented things from that podium that were that were that were flatly not true. Um, and who have kind of the current press secretary seems to use it as very much a political platform. I, I'm wondering if you can give me a sense if we fast forward and think of a Biden presidency. Um, what what does a press secretary uh, in in a, in a Biden White House look? You know, uh, uh, how does a press secretary perform? Are there briefings every day? Do we try to get back to a sense of you know normal relations, attention for sure, but normal relations? Uh, between a, a, a press corps and a White House press office, what's the responsibility of, of that press office and that press secretary? Yeah, I look, I think a press secretary in a Biden administration will be a voice for the Biden administration's agenda and priorities. I think I would expect that there would be daily press briefings. Yes, I think we would get back to a more regular rhythm of of, you know, communicating consistently uh, with the press day in and day out about the administration's priorities. And, you know, I think that the press secretary for a Biden administration would not view that role as uh, a political cudgel. They would not view that platform um, as a place to, you know, to stand and berate the press every day um, or, you know, or solely as a platform to get a soundbite on Fox News, which I think is sort of how the Trump administration is approaching that job. I think, um, you know, in a Biden administration, that role will once again be a, uh, you know, a mouthpiece for the substantive priorities of the administration. And it will be, uh, you know, an opportunity and um, the briefing will be a moment each day to keep the press informed of of the administration's priorities and uh, and developments, so I, you know I think we, uh, you know I think we would really approach the job and the role of the press office um, in a radically different way than the Trump administration has. Kate, I've been thinking a lot about this week and the the messaging coming from your party. And first of all, congratulations on a on a pretty seamless virtual convention. I I've, I for one thought there'd be Thank you. more technical issues it's, than there've been. I've been amazed by that. Uh, it's been Truly a team effort, we have like tech- really incredible work from a lot of people to make that make that possible. I can only imagine. But I, I, the, the messaging, I feel like there's a there's a tension that that Democrats have had to, to work through through the primaries and, and continuing through the convention. It's going to dominate the, the campaign for the next 70 days, which is how much to be anti-Trump versus how much to be pro-Democratic Party, pro-Biden-Harris at this point. How have you sought to, to strike that balance? And, and looking forward to the vice president's speech tonight, what kind of what kind of mix can we look for? Yeah, I think to, look tonight you can definitely expect a uh, you can expect Biden to lay down a clear vision for what he and Kamala Harris would do in the White House. I think you know tonight is going to be very focused on introducing pieces of Joe Biden's biography to to viewers who may not know uh, about the struggles that he's been through in his life. Um, and then his speech is really going to be about laying out a, a, a positive vision for the country and, um, you know, I think reminding people that even in these incredibly divisive times that, you know, across the course of the history of our country, we have overcome crises as Americans when we have come together. And, uh, and, and so I think you'll really see a lot about 
um, you know, the resilience uh, of the American people. And you'll see a lot of the, you know, the resilience in Joe Biden's own own life and biography woven through tonight. So, um, you know, and I think broadly speaking, uh, for our campaign, we we view our campaign, we, we view the the, you know, strategic imperative of our campaign um, as being making a positive case for why Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris are the right people for the moment. Um, I think there's no question people are incredibly dissatisfied, uh, angry, frustrated with Donald Trump and the way that he has mishandled or or even you know chosen to not, not handle at all uh, these massive crises that we're facing. So there's absolutely no doubt that there is important contrast there. Um, but you know, for our campaign, we for the next 75 days are really about making sure that the American people have a clear understanding of what Biden would do in office, of who he is, of what motivates him. Um, and, you know, and then we think the contrast uh, itself is is readily, readily apparent to people. So um, so that's really how we are approaching these, you know, these last 75 days before Election Day. And Kate, in terms of the, the way that the, the convention comes across to viewers at home, obviously forced into the, the virtual convention by by. Uh, forced in by, by COVID-19 and this crisis that everyone is living through. How have you sought to use that or portray that? I'm struck by a lot of the, a lot of the speakers have used to see that's, that's available. Obviously, we saw some famous calamari in that roll hall estates. I hope you got some at some point. Kate, it, looked, it looked pretty Sadly good. Sadly, no, but I wish. <laughs> Not yet. Well, I feel like this is the official food of the convention yes. somehow. But how have you tried to connect the way the convention presents itself to the way that people are necessarily living their lives these days? Yeah, that's I mean, so that's exactly the question that we uh, asked ourselves as we started this process is, you know, how can we make this viewing experience dynamic um, for uh, for people all across the country who are going to be watching this from their living rooms who are going to be watching this digitally on, you know, on their phone, on tablets, on computers. Um, you know, we really thought of this as an opportunity to sort of to have people's um, undivided attention in a way that, you know, we might not have actually in a in a more traditional um, uh, moment with a more traditional convention. So, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that throughout the programming, we had the voices of real people from all over the country who are living through this moment. I think that's the, um, you know, the uniting thread, basically, throughout all of the the messaging across the course of, of these four days is, you know, we're all in different parts of the country, we're all experiencing this in our own unique way. But there is a really common thread running through all of us, uh, you know, in the fact that we are all in this together, we are facing these crises together, we are you know, kind of, we are plunged into this moment um, where we are all grappling in our own way um, uh, with the same uh, the same challenges. So, you know, we really wanted to, you know, you saw that I think manifest in the roll call you were just talking about. We had, you know, people from all over the country telling their own personal story. You had, you know, the segment last night where uh, Mayor Garcetti and 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 others were around the country talking to different small businesses, you know, about what they're dealing with, what they're grappling with, you're really hearing the the humanity of this moment. Um, and so that that was something that we really wanted to make sure shown through um, across all four nights that, you know, that Joe Biden understands the pain and the difficulty that people are going through um, and that we all, you know, that we're all in this together. So, uh, Kate, I know you have to go, and this is an incredibly busy, uh, busy day for you. Big day, huge day uh, for you and, and for the campaign. Before you go, 
Uh, I want to ask you about the, the tradition that we have seen, one, one of many that has gone by the by, um, of the, you know, when one party has the convention, the other party, the other candidate uh, tends to kind of leave the stage, uh, you know, and, 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 and take, take a break, and it's, it's, it's the other party's moment. Obviously, Donald Trump has had a very active week every single day, counter-programming to, to your convention. What are your plans for next week while the Republicans hold their convention? What, what, what will we be seeing and hearing from, from Biden? And so Harris? you're going to be seeing uh, us drawing a very clear contrast on Donald Trump's failed leadership. I won't, I won't in this moment get into uh, the specifics of what exactly uh, we have planned for the principles, except to say that, you know, broadly speaking, you're going to see uh, the campaign, you're going to see the Democratic Party, you're going to see people from all across the country who are frustrated with uh, Donald Trump's abject failure of leadership here. Um, uh, holding him accountable and holding the administration accountable for the ways in which they have so badly bungled this crisis that, you know, we are we are now facing, you know, what is it, month six, seven of kind of perpetual lockdown. We've seen, you know, dramatic impact on the economy across the country. And that's that is directly the result of Donald Trump's failure to have a plan and to execute on the plan. And so Next week, we're going to be making sure that people have a really clear understanding of the ways in which Donald Trump could have stepped up and accepted responsibility and made a plan to protect Americans um, and failed to do so. But but without getting into the specifics, will we see uh, Biden and Harris? I, that is not something I can I'm I can share at this moment. Um, I think you should know that you will you will feel a robust presence uh, from the campaign, from the DNC, from as I say, Democratic leaders across the country. Um, and you'll just have to stay tuned on what's what's coming from uh, from the principals. All right, Kate Bedingfield with the Biden campaign. Thank you for joining us. We hope to talk to you again very soon on Powerhouse Politics. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. So, um, Rick, I, I think that, that there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of news there. Actually, first of all, uh, and I don't know if she's been really asked this before, and, and maybe Kate Bedingfield is somebody that would. It would be the press secretary in a in, in a Biden presidency, Biden White House. Uh, but you heard her say that this there will be regular briefings, uh, that there will be um, you know she she made some statements about the responsibilities of a White House press secretary that that I think we should we should clip and say yeah things that weren't controversial in the past that that in in the context of I mean that to me is one big theme of this whole convention right is that the Vice President Biden the Democrats have been selling themes of friendship and partnership and togetherness and family and there's been a lot of attacks on President Trump as well and, and these are notions that 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 sound very generic um, and and gauzy even but they somehow come across as the contrast. And so much of this convention has been uh, Joe Biden selling decency, selling normalcy. And that is a lot of what he is hoping people react to. And wh whether it's his behavior during the convention or press briefings, it is, the, it is a, a restoration far more than it will ever be revolution under a Biden-Harris world. And, and Biden did have a uh, has a long history of being very accessible to the press, and she mentioned the meet the press statistic and all that. But important to point out that throughout this campaign, he has uh, been more likely to avoid the press uh, than to engage the press. He has not done a lot of interviews. He has not done a lot of press conferences. So um, we heard her say that, uh, that 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 he will be out there and he'll be engaged both during the campaign. Uh, and if he gets elected in the White House. so um, And John, this is, of so course, will... a shameless plug, but that starts tomorrow. That starts with the first joint interviews with Biden and Harris, with our colleagues, David Muir and Robin Roberts. 
Uh, on ABC News. On ABC News, a, a primetime special on Sunday night, which will be the first glimpse we have of the two of them in an interview setting, interacting with each other. I assume it'll be the first of many, but it is the first, and it's a big test with a lot of eyeballs. A lot of people will be watching after this uh, pretty extraordinary week. A lot of questions to ask. All right, Rick, that is it for this latest special edition of Powerhouse Politics. We will be back soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Susie Liu. Avery Miller, and the entire Powerhouse Politics team.